Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Let's take a quick break. You know what's one of my favorite things to do post-dancing rehearsal? Not going to lie, it's putting on some sweatpants immediately and having a drink. You all know I love a glass of wine or two, but I also like to switch it up. So lately, Jason and I have been making a little cocktail at night using Rum Haven. Rum Haven believes Mother Nature did things right, so it's crafted using real coconut water and not using artificial preservatives or flavorings. It is so incredibly refreshing. I mentioned I like to add it to a cocktail, but it's also actually great over ice with a splash of club soda. It tastes like I'm on vacation, sitting on an island somewhere far, far away which is without a doubt a great feeling, especially during these crazy times. So make sure to follow at Rum Haven on Instagram because they post all types of these seasonal recipes. They do giveaways and tips. Plus, when you go to discover.rumhaven.com, you can find their latest blogs, quizzes, and any promotions they have going on. On one of their latest blog posts, they actually have some tips about planning your virtual watch party, which is pretty perfect since everyone's favorite reality show is back on Tuesdays. Be sure to have a little virtual drink with me, sip some rum haven, maybe even while you're listening to the pod. Let me know what you think. Hey guys, Perry here. Let's make some mayhem. Shoot and loot your way through a mayhem-fueled adventure in Borderlands 3. Blast through new worlds and enemies as one of four new playable vault hunters, each with deep skill trees, abilities, and customization. Play solo or with your friends to take on insane enemies, score loads of loot, and save the galaxy from a fanatical threat. Mayhem is available now on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Pre-order now at Borderlands.com, rated M for Mature. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. On today's Movie Talk, we've got an Indiana Jones 5 script update for you. On top of that, we are asking the question... How much Star Wars is too much Star Wars? And then, of course, we can't wrap this episode without talking about that Batman casting news all on today's Movie Talk. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Heroes and Villains episode of Collider Movie Talk. We've got quite the lineup. We've got Silas and Coy on the desk today. And right now, we've got an epic call sheet for you. Kicking this off with a little something about The Irishman. So the producer of the movie, Jane Rosenthal, recently told Deadline that Martin Scorsese's latest is actually going to be a slower movie and also that it's going to have an introspective quality to it. Here's the quote. 
what you do look at with something like the Irishman is the toxic masculinity and what happens when someone chooses one family over their own nuclear family and then tries to make repairs at the end of their lives. What happens to particularly men who make that decision? Moving on over now to that Indiana Jones 5 update teased at the top of the show. We have a recent interview with Den of Geek that revealed that Crystal Skull screenwriter David Kep is working on the Indiana Jones franchise yet again. As for the status of Indiana Jones 5, here's what Kep said. We're still trying, and I think we've got a good idea this time. We'll see. Now for that big burning Star Wars question. This is where it came from. Disney CEO Bob Iger told the New York Times that when it comes to Star Wars, I just think that we might have put a little bit too much in the marketplace too fast. He also stated, I think the storytelling capabilities of the company are endless because of the talent we have at the company. And the talent we have at the company is better than it's ever been, in part because of the influx of people from Fox. Stay tuned because we're talking about this one more later on today's show. So next up now, soon after debuting at TIFF 2019, we've got the first full trailer for the Safdie Brothers new movie. It's Uncut Gems and it stars Adam Sandler. According to the official synopsis of the movie, Sandler plays Howard Ratner, a New York City jeweler who makes a series of high stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. We're going to share our thoughts on the trailer later on today's show as well. Next up, the two big Batman casting stories. THR is reporting that Jeffrey Wright could be our new Commissioner Gordon and Collider's own Jeff Snyder is reporting that Jonah Hill is currently in talks to play a villain in the movie possibly the Riddler before we move into our panel discussions we've got a very special Downton Abbey video to share because what's better than a corgi asking two of the stars from Downton some questions check it out Hi, I'm Alan Leach. I'm Hugh Bonneville. We're from Downton Abbey. And we're, we're here, here with, with Collider and, and Hand and Paul to talk about Downton, the movie that comes out on the 20th of September. No, to talk about the dogs, Alan. The oh, dogs. Sorry, to talk with it's the dogs. all about the dogs and we're going to be interviewed by Ellie. Hello, I'm Ellie. Now I have to know, who dropped the most food on set? Great question, Ellie. Um, myself and Hugh used to get in trouble for always feeding the dogs yeah. extra sausages. Like all good dogs and actors, we, you know, we do it for treats. The dogs just lived for the, uh, in the breakfast scenes for the little tidbits of bacon and sausage that uh, disappeared yeah. off the edge of the table. What's your preferred food, uh, Ellie? Yeah. Bacon. Bacon. Excellent choice. Good call. Good call. Who smelled the best on set? Uh, you, actually. I you do. You always smell the best. I always good. smell the best. I like to mix it up yeah. with different scents, like eau de dog. You are so yeah. sweet, you. You are just very calm and quiet. So. I've got a bone to pick. Who's the bigger piece of shit, Zoo? Ellie, wash your mouth out with soap. Yeah. We don't use such language no on for you. What kind of dog would you be? I think I'd be some kind of mix. Terrier mix. Uh, scrappy. Yeah. I'd like to be a Tibetan terrier because then, then people would think I was very intelligent, even though I might, might be really, really stupid. Uh, that's just what you played in the show, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Collider Video fans? Josh McCuga here. I'm the host of a brand new show on Collider called The Rumor Mill. Now, we're live every single Wednesday at 2 p.m., but we're live on the Collider Oh, hi. Guess what? If you want to watch the full Downton Dog video, it's up on the YouTube channel. So after you finish with this episode of Movie Talk, check it out. It is so much fun. Ellie is the best. All right. 
panel number one today. This is a big topic to discuss, and I'm so happy to welcome Silas and Coy to the show today. So I was freaking out yesterday. I'm like, oh my God, there's no big news. We haven't had big casting news in a little while. And then all of a sudden, not one, but two, the Batman casting stories broke, and we get to talk about it today. I, but first, is Downton Dog a yoga pun? Like Downward Dog. Was that on purpose? Because I'd like we, to know. We didn't think about Downward that dog. part of it. Right? No. Like when you Downton no. Dog. Okay, All well, of now our it creative is. juices went to creating <laughs> dog pun questions for the wonderful Ellie to ask in that interview. Accidentally all a dog pun when you go Downton Dog. Oh, God. <laughs> no. All right. You're making my brain spin out of control and we haven't even had a conversation yet. The Batman. Let's talk a little bit about these two Batman casting reports. So... As I said earlier, Jeffrey Wright is being eyed to play Commissioner Gordon via THR, and then our own Jeff Snyder is reporting that Jonah Hill is in talks to play a villain in the Batman, and a source tells him that it'll be the Riddler. Let's start with Jeffrey Wright first. We've seen a number of iterations of Commissioner Gordon on screen, so what is it about Jeffrey Wright that best suits that role and could make it something a little different? Uh, his voice. Uh, there's something so interesting about Jeffrey Wright. He's got this presence, and if you're if you're on a rooftop next to Batman, you have to be very interesting to hold the screen. And I think he is. I think he's always got that certain level of gruff charisma. Uh, he's also extremely intelligent, and he really has a screen presence to keep up with Batman. And Commissioner Gordon's extremely important. I'd say he's right up there with Alfred as far as non. None of them really superpowered, but non-powered characters in the Batman universe. You have to be something really special. So I think it's great that they're going for someone that has the presence, has the intelligence, has the ability to read like someone who made Commissioner way too fast and is now dealing with this Gotham corruption. All right. Are you all for this casting, Silas? Oh, absolutely. I, I think there's a real uh, human side to Jeffrey Wright that uh, is great. It's part of Commissioner Gordon, and it's not really Commissioner Gordon we've seen a lot in the movies. Um I kind of am as fascinated by his home life and him struggling as a citizen of Gotham as much as the police commissioner. He's got like an inherent sensitivity to yeah. him too that I really appreciate. Not that I keep thinking about the Goldfinch, but I'm I continued listening to the audiobook. So it's just hearing this casting news and then listening to Hobie's part in the audiobook and I'm still picturing Jeffrey Wright and the fact that he's able to pop even in a movie like that that doesn't really come together very well. I applaud him all day long. Obviously he's incredible in Westworld too. It's it's also kind of cool that he's in Eternals. He's yeah. in DC and Marvel at the same time. Oh, he can go into uh, that group now. All right. Yeah, he's all in right. What If he's Uwatu. He's uh, he's the the Watcher. Oh my god, I totally uh, he's, forgot about that as well. Yeah. So he's he's everywhere, he's and he's also busy. he's also a, a, the kind of actor that he, when you see him in something, he's, he's not he's a that guy. And I hate to say it, like in the industry, we all know Jeffrey Wright, mm -hmm. but outside of it, I imagine he's one of those actors that you see him in a project, and there's a certain like validity to it. Like when they announced this name for me, it was like, oh, the Batman's going that direction. They're getting this type of pedigree, and I think that he's going to bring. You can have scenes with just Commissioner Gordon now. You can actually see Barbara Gordon and Commissioner Gordon in their home. You can see the Gordon family and not be like, when's Batman coming Do back? Do you think that's going to happen, though, in a movie titled The Batman? I think they're going to be building a different kind of Gotham film. I think this is going to be a detective story. And with a detective Batman, you need a Commissioner Gordon that feels versed. You, you need Batman doing something the cops aren't doing. So you need to know mm -hmm. the cops to know what the cops aren't doing. You need to believe in the police force's failings for you to believe in the vigilante actually going forward. And Matt Reeves only builds worlds that are more than one-sided. Like, you, you cared about the humans slightly less than the apes. Point. So the apes being more of the leads of the apes films means you need to know who the cops are to really be invested in the bat. 
Maybe I just have Joker on the brain, but I keep envisioning this Batman movie as being like purely from Batman's perspective. I, I feel like it, I think Arkham means they need more police stuff. I feel like Commissioner Gordon. I, I feel like there's going to be a lot more cop stuff. Well, actually, this brings in our other casting news, because if Jonah Hill is interested in stepping in as a villain and it's the Riddler, I imagine it must be a fairly substantial role. So now that I'm actually thinking about it, I might be more willing to believe that it's going to be largely from Batman's perspective, but maybe even more from the Riddler's perspective than scenes with Commissioner Gordon and no Batman in the mix. (laughs) Does that make any sense to you guys? I feel like it's going to be the Riddler fooling the police and they need to send the batman in and it's and it's a bunch of like things at arkham i feel like arkham's gonna be i i just we heard that a few years ago and i still think it's true but i think it's gonna be the riddler guiding batman on a series of quests and the then the, the police can't solve it so i think it's gonna be and that's how you have all these villains that's how you have the riddler as a lead that's why you get jonah hill you need an actor of repute and i think jonah hill's before we even dive in i think jonah hill's a fantastic choice because now they can play it in a very different way you don't do the jim carrey route you do a uh uh, narcissistic post-millennial uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, almost uh, what what uh, Lex Luthor became, but not that. Uh, and you make it this this story about this guy that's jealous of Batman, and you make it about his brain being overwrought with all these thoughts, and he wants to prove he's smarter than Batman. He's the smartest guy. He wants to do this thing. And I can suddenly t- see Jonah Hill doing that. And all, all these Penguin rumors are silly because Jonah's been skinny for a very long time. Oh. Um. Do you think that that story structure could be the way that they're going to go with this? Yes. Uh, however, I don't think he's the Riddler. Oh. Um, I, I was trying Throwing to make a curveball in the mix. I wasn't <laughs> ready for that. You know, this thing happens, and I wonder if it's, it's, it's so inside baseball that people aren't aware. But whenever a story breaks in the trades, every other trade likes to jump on Twitter and sort of say, well, I had that story, and I, I also know this bit. I didn't write it up, and I didn't post it in time, but I also heard this. And there was a lot of that happening last night and a lot of people throwing out things that were kind of weird. Some of, some of them said like, oh, well, the role hasn't been decided yet, that Jonah Hill was actually He's the first one it. to be in talks, but the role hasn't been determined. And that's weird because, I mean, Matt Reeves is, is writing and directing this movie. He clearly knows the story he's telling. I Wait, think- as, as in he was in talks for a role and they haven't specified what role it's going to be? Yeah. Like he just wanted to join the movie and say like, whatever you guys decide for me, cool. Hey guys, I'd like to be in the Batman. Okay, thanks. Huh. And I, I have no inside information here, but when I first heard this movie was happening with Matt Reeves, the rumor going around was that it was Long Halloween and that it was potentially a Long Halloween trilogy. And th- the basis for Long Halloween is that there are these crimes being committed on holidays Batman goes to talk to Calendar Man, Mm -hmm. uh, who isn't responsible for the crimes, but because they're being committed on holidays, has figured out who the criminal is. And it's kind of this Hannibal Lecter back and forth. And through that, ends up interacting with every other villain on different holidays throughout the year. I feel like Calendar Man makes a lot of sense for Jonah Hill. Mm -hmm. He's a character that you kind of think of as a joke, but if you did it seriously, it could be really scary. That's Jonah Hill. Uh... But I kind of wonder if this idea of we haven't even decided the role isn't the studio saying, why Calendar Man? We're about to make $100 million with a Joker movie. If you made him the Riddler... I, I think that's exactly I, – I think they're going to make the long Halloween with the Riddler. I, I think the Calendar Man, the character, I don't think it's going to – I think they're going to use the Calendar Man story with the Riddler as the Calendar Man, which, which would work. Kind of ju- I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but there was a very recent Batman adaptation that did exactly that, took 
a character that was not the Riddler and turned it into the Riddler. And the War of Jokes and Riddles recently really showed that the Riddler can be a foil to Batman and a lot of other rogues. Like, the way the Riddler was handled with Tom King, you can really have the Riddler be a pseudo-lead, and if you're going to pay Jonah Hill the reported $10 million, the guy's got some screen time. Like, whether or not that's true, it's just you, you don't cast Jonah Hill to be a side part. Jonah Hill's been killing it, and, and mm-hmm. if you haven't seen mid-'90s, he's a brilliant filmmaker as well as an actor, and he doesn't... Like, Everyone still sees him as super bad. I feel like he's one of those actors that people haven't like let be. Not even like, necessarily super bad, but he did kind of build a name for himself for based on comedy roles. Yeah, but like Wolf of Wall Street and like War Pigs, War no, Dogs, he, War uh, War Dogs, War Dogs. He, the other he's Todd definitely Phillips. amassed a number of titles to his mm-hmm. name at this point to to validate the fact that he has great range and so much skill in front of and behind the lens. But you know, yeah, especially a when a flavor. movie's like, I mean, Superbad's coming of age, like iconic movie. Yeah. That's not even it necessarily something you want to shake and then his little sister in Booksmart, which is so great i, love I know that. it so, makes me so happy the new you generation remember, you remember what i was reading on the way to uh amazing comic-con las vegas for oh, long halloween that's true yeah, because that's right. i actually think you were on that episode and we were talking about the possibility of this movie falling in line with that storyline and i felt the urgency to actually read it I have a feeling like I'm kind of tempted by what you're saying here. And I think this would actually validate Jeff's scoop in a way. I mean, yeah, the story structure would make him calendar man. But can you blame them for wanting to turn that character into the Riddler, especially if, you know, what if he got a really big payday for this movie and was a very important part, but maybe didn't have as much screen time. But maybe Jonah Hill was getting in on the game. So I don't know, maybe the Riddler could have his own standalone movie at some point, like the Joker. Well, the Joker in, in The Dark Knight barely had screen time. People, like, you remember The Dark Knight as being a Joker movie, but if you actually look at his screen time, it's like 18 minutes mm-hmm. or something crazy. He's just always a presence when he's there. So I, I could definitely see the Riddler or whoever Jonah ends up playing being that kind of presence where it just, like, cuts through the screen, is so important, and then just wee. So what are the what are the big roles left to cast now? Is there anybody you're really looking forward to hearing who they pick? I mean... It's the Batman. He's got the best rogues gallery. Like, him yeah. and Spidey have everybody. Like, those are the two for me, the two so rogues. So we, we're still running with the assumption that even though it was just rumored Penguin and Catwoman, you know, very familiar villains like that, they are still in the mix. So, so my big question is, like... Is the idea of Matt Reeves doing a trilogy still on the table? And officially, it's not. Officially, he's just doing one movie. But the early stories were he's doing a trilogy. And if he is doing a trilogy and it is a single adaptation... The idea that you could do something like Long Halloween and have four villains per movie and tell a like nine-hour movie over three films uh, and cast 12 different Batman villains is, is pretty exciting. I mean, that's impossibly ambitious, and I, I'm all for it, like mad, maddening ambition. So that's what I want to see. I don't know if they'll let someone make a third of a trilogy without the, the next one being on the film docket. Like, I don't know if you'd be like, all right, here's a cliffhanger. Hope he comes back. Like, I don't know if that like, would be the way they do it. But if they announce suddenly that this is I mean, way is, more to come, I'm all about it. Is that even possible? Like, let's say whether it's two films or a trilogy and it's adapting Long Halloween. It's like, where do you end each movie so it doesn't feel like you have to watch the next one? This first one is still a satisfying and full experience. Well, Long Halloween has that great ticking clock built in where it, it starts on Halloween and continues for a full year and major events happen on mm-hmm. holidays. Yeah, you started Halloween, you ended on Christmas. You have it end on another major holiday where he feels like he solved a thing, but there's more to come. You know, the end, the end so of Batman a, Begins is the Joker card flip, and you know there's like more to come. It's almost like a little bit of, a, of an anthology quality yeah, to it. Yeah, I would love Which, that. Hey, it would be something different, and I feel like that's kind of what we're applauding right now with the big franchises. It's like no matter how you feel about Joker in the end, 
they freaking swung for the fences. They did something that we've never seen before. And if that's the approach that they take to the Batman, I'm all for it. It's the Batman. What better property to risk something than a three-picture deal with the Batman? Like, you don't have to worry about anything. And DC's taking these risks. I do it with the most well-known property. I also think Matt Reeves is a guy that, I mean, like, War for the Planet of the Apes is a movie where the, the, the primary actors are uh, motion capture and the primary language that used is American Sign Language. And that's, that's pretty crazy yeah. for a summer blockbuster. What he achieved with that franchise was really, really something else. To answer your first question, I want to see Mr. Freeze handled seriously. Uh, I'd really want to see the ventrilo- ventriloquist. I think that'd be a fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think that would translate really well to film. Uh, I'd love to see the characters that we had in Batman and Robin taken seriously, like a real Poison Ivy. Like those characters mm-hmm. that have this like hokey quality. And then maybe go into rogues we haven't seen. But to be honest, the like kind of validating the characters that people think is jokes and then fixing the the ones we haven't seen would be my route. I'm into it. I love how many possibilities are on the table right now. Anything you want to add, Silas, before we move on? I honestly, so Long Halloween has a direct sequel called uh, Dark Victory that was was done right after. And in Dark Victory, um, they they introduce Robin. And it's a really well-told issue. I would love to see that brought in um, just... I, I like the idea that Batman is such a cold and distant character and yet he grows to have one of the, the biggest families in mm-hmm. the DC universe. What's the story structure of Dark Victory? Does it does it completely obviously go away from maybe the, the calendar approach? It, it does, but it ties back to some plot elements. I mean, one of the things that's cool about Long Halloween and why it makes a lot of sense for a movie is it was designed as a sequel to Frank Miller's Batman Year mm-hmm. One. So it, it's sort of like... If you're looking at classic Batman stories and you don't want to do an origin story, this is the very next story. Which ties into what we've definitely heard and the, and the age of Robert Pattinson and all the other things. It works for all those. And, I, and personally, I hope that since we're going so young, uh, youngish, uh, we get the, the seeds for Hush. I'd love to meet someone that's young and he's like a very akin to Bruce that can evolve or Court of Owls or something down the line. But I think starting with Long Halloween and then having the option for those things later would be amazing. So many possibilities. So and hype. as we hear more casting news on the Batman, which hopefully there is going to be more sometime soon, we're going to cover it right here on Movie Talk. All right. Topic number two today. This is a big one. So this all comes from the quotes that we teased earlier in the show from Disney CEO Bob Iger regarding the fact that he had said something along the lines of, you know, we released too much Star Wars too soon. So that is the question I want to pose to you guys first, specifically as it pertains to Star Wars. Do you think that is the case? Do you think that they released too much too soon and that's why the film franchise is in the position it is right now? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I think if Solo had been a really, really great movie, nobody would be saying this. Um, it, it, it did feel weird to go from, from, from Last Jedi to just a few months later having a Han Solo movie. And, and the big thing with, with Solo was it wasn't a movie anybody wanted. Nobody <laughs> wanted to see a young Han Solo movie. But everybody said, oh, well, Phil Lord and Chris Miller have a track record of taking things that you don't want to see and making them into something you do. And then when that all fell apart, it was sort of like, oh, we're just going to kind of have this reheated movie that we didn't want to see in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think if we had one solo movie instead of two movies mushed together, I think we'd be in a better spot. Like if you had a style of film instead of the Ron Howard, like this is a neutral. And then the the, the Phil Lord and Chris Miller fingerprints over this neutral movie. I think that set a really strange tone in Star Wars where we'd gone from these bold choices into this like sure was a summer and it also being a summer movie definitely felt off because it was six months after another movie. And it wasn't – I feel like 
Star Wars owns the holidays. It owns that Christmas season. So to have it, it kind of just like, it felt like you were running and you just hit a rock. You're like, oh no. And it just threw things off. I don't think it was too many. I just think it threw us askew. Because Marvel puts out three movies a year. It's not like there's an abundance But they didn't at the very beginning. True. But Star Wars is known. Star Wars is known, but Star Wars came back after so many years of not being on the big screen, and it, it came back under a new regime with a whole bunch of new lead characters. I do feel like it kind of maybe needed to find its footing a little more, but I think I'm a little more in line with what you just said, Silas. The fact that I didn't really like Solo very much, and I do think that put a little bit of a damper on it. And, of course, we can't ignore the fact that The Last Jedi basically sparked a major divide in the fandom. So the fact that those two movies came out right around the same time, I definitely don't think it helped. But, you know, just to play around with the idea a little bit, thinking... So I love Rogue One. I don't want to wipe Rogue One off the map by any means. But what if we did get Force Awakens and then we had to, let's say, wait two years or or whatever the gap was, three years for, for Last Jedi? And they kind of just reused that huge amount of anticipation waiting for the big event movie rather mm. than trying to fill in the gaps with, you know, maybe stories that people didn't people didn't not want, but people didn't know they wanted. I just wonder if spreading it out and letting the buzz build at the very beginning, finishing out this trilogy of movies, and then jumping into different forms of storytelling might have been the better route. I mean, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty, but I feel like Marvel had Iron Man and Incredible Hulk in one year, and even though Incredible Hulk wasn't Great. It didn't throw things off. I mean, that was in 2008. It had two movies. So Marvel kicked off with two films in 08, like right away. And then then they, then they went to another, and then they escalated to three. So, it was a different time, though. But but it's still... It was a different time, and it was there was a lot less blockbuster competition, too. There was. And there was a lot less time. Like, when they started this, then everyone wanted to do the thing they were doing. So now these movies are trying to keep up with multiple films a year. So I don't know if people would have wanted a three-year gap between Star Wars, if that would have built momentum or diminished it. But I don't think we can possibly know without knowing what Solo could have been. It's almost like what we talk about, though, when it comes to the abundance of streaming services and TV programming that none of us can keep up with anymore. Because it's not like it's this one big franchise that you got to make sure you see that movie every single year. Everyone's trying to do it, whether we're talking about Star Wars, DC on this show, Marvel, Indiana Jones is trying to continue. We even have Halloween. Halloween released a movie in 2018. We're getting two more fairly soon. It's just like every, it seems like every major studio with their big franchises is, is assuming the mentality like fast, 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 now, 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 don't let anybody forget our property. And I mean, the truth of the matter is there is not enough money to go around. And I think that might freak many people out. I feel like the, the closer parallel than Marvel would be uh, Fast and the Furious because Hobbs and Shaw is like your Rogue One. It's it's a spinoff. It's trying to start its own thing. It's its own little side universe, but it's in between sequels, right? It's in, in between Fast 8 and Fast 9. I don't think Hobbs and Shaw is going to affect the performance of Fast 9, and it's something that held us over in between the two. You know, it's it's a similar thing where it's like placeholder, and it was still did gangbusters. It's, you know, this giant movie that, that didn't separate but also was very clearly not a Fast and the Furious film. So I think that that's more of the the line they're walking, and I think they did it fine. Silas, what's the answer? How do you crack? <laughs> how do you crack the franchise puzzle here? I think we will be in a better place after Episode Nine comes out, and I say that regardless of what Episode Nine is, whether people like it or not. It's just Star Wars as a franchise is going up against the the J.J. Abrams mystery box, mm. where there's a lot of mystery 
pretty much from Return of the Jedi on, there are decades of the Star Wars universe that we don't know a lot about and aren't going to learn about until after this trilogy is done. And that's kind of hard to, to continue with. And it clashes with the like sort of commercialization of Star Wars, where it's like next week is the Triple yeah. Force Friday, and it's like go to the store and buy a bunch of figures for a movie that you have not seen, and we're not going to tell you anything about, and you'll get to see in a few months. Yeah. And there is a level where you sort of like look at yourself and you're like, oh, I, I am a big fan, but why am I doing this? Well, that's a fair point. I mean, it, it's it's really upsetting how it all comes down to like just shelling out more money. It's like as you describe that. You know, it's hard not to fear the reverse engineering thing mm-hmm. of, you know, designing a cool character to sell the toys while the characters are still in the mystery box. And then you see the movie and then they don't pan out to be what you had hoped, are which is saying- why I have too many Phasma things. <laughs> Some sort of conflict based in the stars. You're feeling a conflict about these celestial characters, a, a Star Wars you're experiencing. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up from this uh, Bob Iger uh, interview or the quotes that he had been given, he had been giving. So he also said another thing about Disney possibly buying Twitter, and I found it very interesting. So I just wanted to throw that in the mix. So (laughs) here is what he had said on that topic. The troubles were greater than I wanted to take on, greater than I thought it was responsible for us to take on. There were Disney brand issues, the whole impact of technology on society. The nastiness is extraordinary. I like looking at my Twitter news feed because I want to follow 15, 20 different subjects. Then you turn and look at your notifications and you're immediately saying, why am I doing this? Why do I endure this pain? Why am I laughing? Uh, Like a lot of these platforms, they have the ability to do a lot of good in our world they also have an ability to do a lot of bad. I didn't want to take that on. That is like like a very, uh, what's, what's the phrase, rose-colored glasses view of Twitter. It's like, it can do so much good in the world, but why is everybody saying nasty things to me? You truly can. It's this amazing connective tool. We gave everyone like a free texting device. We gave everyone in the world a cell phone to talk to each other, and we use it to be dicks. It doesn't make, I mean, it makes sense because humans are awful, but it doesn't make sense for the ability that it has. I totally agree with him, and I wouldn't take it on either. Can you imagine being like, oh, I own this cesspool? Like, why would you buy a cesspool? Oh, I don't know. I, I like. I think that's going to be one of the next phases, though. Is big companies like this aligning themselves with a very specific social media platform and trying to take it over? I mean, could you imagine what kind of marketing tool Twitter would become if Disney owned it? Like, you would you would not be able to stop them. They're gonna have to invent new laws. Like, there, there will have to be new monopoly laws about owning social medias because if you own something that controls speech, yeah. then that's therefore a freedom of speech issue. And if it's a branded speech issue, I can't imagine the ramifications. I mean, are of, any like, laws like that in place right now? Though I, now is the time to weasel what, your way in and grab one. I think that's true. That's a terrifying thought. Actually, that's how Skynet thought. activates. Is you have a you have a, a social media format that convinces people this is the answer, and it lets you like let AI move around and then like take it over yeah i mean not like this would actually happen with facebook but like think about facebook's original programming that they're trying to launch if they join forces with a more established media company maybe that could give them the boost they need to actually compete with some of the new ones coming out like i don't know a disney plus or apple plus tv whatever it is but like a streaming service teaming up with a social media service, Facebook tried. Like they try to do their Facebook video mm-hmm. content, but Facebook is owned by like everyone. I think like more people than not have Facebook by a large margin. If you have the internet, you probably have Facebook, which is terrifying. A little you bit. Kind of respect uh, <laughs> Disney for like realizing that 
it's too powerful to touch. It kind of yeah. reminds me of uh, like Galadriel when uh, Frodo <laughs> offers her the ring, and she like sees herself becoming this powerful witch king. That's amazing. I love that like visual. And it's the bird. He's like, no, can't do the tweets. Uh, but it is. It's a very dangerous thing. I love the idea of like too much power. I can't wield it. I want to pose a question. This is so random and kind of out of left field. But we were talking yesterday yesterday about the evolution of streaming platforms and. The idea of, you know how password sharing is becoming a big problem. What streaming services could do to encourage people to make sure that they have their own account? And again, this is a terrible example, but the Twitter thing did make me think about it a little is, you know, adding like a chat thing. Or if you watch X amount of movies from this filmmaker, you get a badge or something like that. Is there any layer you would add to the streaming service functionality that could make it a must own for you alone, where you would not want to share that with somebody else? Uh, Ready Player One ask character customization. I'd, I'd want to be a certain figure, and then I wouldn't want to share that. That's mine. It's my guy. But, like, fully mod out a character and then have your badges come from you. Like, you earn the things while it looks like you or looks like whatever well, you want to. Well, now I'm almost thinking, like, let's say Netflix meets Pokemon Go. Oh, and, I you know, you've got, you've got the avatar, and there is some sort of, you know, collecting, you know, points building I got a David Fincher mon, and you get them all. You know, like, once you watch all the Finchers on your, on your service, then you've got them. And maybe there's quizzes maybe there's proving your knowledge i think proving knowledge is something that everyone wants to do so after you watch something and then you build up those merit points that way you're not sharing someone else's knowledge you got me thinking about it though by basically calling twitter free text messaging so it's like if if that was kind of like mushed into disney and mushed into disney plus and there's some there's some piece to twitter that could have given them over there something that let's say amazon netflix and other streaming services don't have if you think about twitter it's like it's like when we were kids there was encyclopedias for knowledge now we can share those by just sending them out like that amount Mm -hmm. of knowledge is actually incalculable what we can do with this tool instead of just harassing famous people so it's really strange that we have this tool that is all this knowledge but we never see that side of it because we're on film twitter i never see any like healthy discourse i I mute a lot so it's really interesting that we'd have a major major corporation look at that and not be able to see the merits in it like they have infinite power and instead of being like we could harness it they're like it's just really mean. And so I don't know if anyone will ever want to harness the mean. It's too much. I, I'm not a, a religious person at all, but I, I think Twitter is like the perfect parallel for the Tower of Babel story. Like the idea of building something so great that it, it challenged God, but then it falls apart and just becomes this discourse where nobody understands one another. It's like, that, that's Twitter. It's <laughs> a great parallel. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way. Metaphors but... in a row. Woo, all right. Yeah, what better way to move on from that topic? Thanks, Silas. Um, before we talk a little bit about that Uncut Gems trailer, though, I got to remind you, this is a Heroes and Villains episode of Collider Movie Talk. If you're a fan of brands like Star Star Wars, Star Trek, X-Men, Batman, so many more, then you have to go over to heroesvillains.com because that's where this cool t-shirt came from. Uh, I, I like that one quite a bit. Right? I like so that cool. one quite. I love the, like, the subtlety of color and like you'd have to, if you know Star Wars, you know it, but it's also, I don't feel like I'm like yelling it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little jealous if I'm being honest, but uh, I'm pretty sure that one... Also on heroesandvillains.com. And, and also, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the dude's medium. But I'm I'm quite happy with this, too. I mean, it's Rebel rad. scum. It yeah. looks like a, like an old-school, like, 80s football jersey. Oh, like yeah, that, that flavor of, yeah. If I you like it. these T-shirts, if you like that jacket I was wearing the other day, which is super cool, 
We have a promo code for you that you could use at checkout. It's TALK15. Just put that in there when you uh, fill your cart with lots of good stuff and check out. And then you get 15% off your order. So enjoy that, guys. We're going to show off some more uh, of the Heroes and Villains lineup all week on Collider Video. So check it out. All right. Uncut Gems. I'm still bitter about this because I missed it at TIFF. It's incredible how many hours I can force myself to be awake and just like take in as much material as possible. And I still can't hit every single movie on my lineup. And this was one of the ones I missed. But I'm happy to see it got a good trailer. I mean, it makes me even madder at myself that I missed it. But it's a great trailer. I can't wait to see the movie. How do you guys feel about it? I'm excited. I mean, I the buzz coming uh, coming out was that this is probably an Oscar nomination for Adam Sandler. And uh, Adam Sandler's one of those guys where, like, I don't like a lot of his movies, um, but I do really like him. Um, mm. I, I've, I've gotten to interview him a couple times, and he is one of the just friendliest people that, like, legitimately wants to speak to you before the interview begins and wants to know who you are. And I, I, I also love uh, Punch Drunk Love and the idea that a, a, another movie could come along that actually lets him shows off some acting chops is, is awesome. I love Rain Over Me. I love Click. Uh, I like Click. I, I really, I want more range out of him because I feel like he's had his 10-year vacation. I would really like to see him do some work that is, is, is proud because he's, I think he's fantastic and this movie looks like it's a, it's an opportunity for him to show he's not just with Kevin James and X location here. So I think it's a really good opportunity for A24 to have a bankable star in a movie that's going to be a little stranger and also show some range. So from the studio side, from the actor side, and I love Good Time, so I want more of mm-hmm. that kind of feel. I love the universe. I like crime. Uh, I really, I want to see more crime stories. Someone's going to clip that out and pass it around. (laughs) I can see the gift now. I like crime. Uh, But I I like movies that tell that side of stories. As much as I love the big superhero films and as much as I love the giant franchises, the world is dark and full of madness, and I want to see more of that. I want to see what you have to do to survive. I want to see people dealing with the worst of things and and, and growing up in, in Lowell and like dangerous neighborhoods. I like stories like this that reflect things that are real, true-to-life experiences, like your adrenaline and your pulse and those things you experience when you're in these situations. I like when it's reflected on screen. I like sweaty palms and, and violence. Uh, so, yes, thank you. Felt wrong that you said uh, the world is full of madness. Shouldn't oh, it, it totally be terrors? The world's okay. mad. I mean, you need a Game of Thrones reference in there, though. Oh, is that a Game of Thrones? The, the, the night is dark and full of terrors. I only watched season eight. Oh. I, will, I, watched right. the, I watched the first three episodes, The Red Wedding, The Death of uh, Angry Batman Begins Boy, and Season 8. I mean, you watch some of the key episodes yeah. there, but you really should, should go back it's and just binge. It's so rapey. It, yeah, I, I mean, I can't, ex- <laughs> I, can't, I can't excuse any of that. <laughs> um, I am very happy you guys name-dropped so many wonderful Adam Sandler performances, but I'm really upset that nobody gave Billy Madison a shout-out. Like, how dare you? (laughs) Billy Madison is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's what made me a huge Adam Sandler fan from day one. And we know what happens with some of his comedy movies as things progress. As you started talking about interviews, I flashed back to a delightful conversation I had with him. But it was for the movie Pixels, which smashed my heart into a million pieces. That movie could have been so much better than it was. But he has delivered some incredible performances all throughout his career, whether you like some of those comedy movies or not. And what he seems to be delivering in this trailer seems like hey it could pave the way to an academy award nomination which i would love to see after all of the movies he's made and i love how this trailer almost feels like it 
it's in a world like adjacent to what happens in good time. Right. There's something there's something about it where I feel like these two events could be playing out parallel to one another. And the thought of uh, like a Safdie brother cinematic universe yes. thrills me, I think, more than it should. It reminded me of Guy Ritchie, uh, like how Guy Ritchie, all of his movies feel very akin to one another yeah. and they're not at all. Like somehow King Arthur feels like it could have snatched like hundreds of years later. Just the editing style, the color palette they used, all the like the flavors mm-hmm. of that. So this reminded me very much of the Good Time trailer. Where I was like, oh, a crime series? Like 100 Bullets is a crime anthology comic. This reminded me of that opportunity with film. And it's an opportunity I really want Adam Sandler to... to come out swinging so he finds that love for it again i feel like he just has been doing a very similar thing and i'd love to see him have a string of these kind of movies and the supporting cast is crazy oh like my God, Stanfield, yeah. uh, the weekends in this it looked like i think yeah. that was him like the, the cast behind this i was great. excited to see adina menzel in there because i'm a big fan of hers and her last big movie role is you know she's the voice of elsa but we don't get to see her on screen so i feel like the last movie i've seen her in where she's there in the flesh is the rent movie and just because i i really liked rent growing up i was <laughs> to love that movie no matter what but i don't think that movie met the show's expectations there but i'm happy to see her in this as well we just need a john travolta crime boss to mispronounce her name i just want that awkwardness whenever i think of adina menzel i think of however he said her name or however i just a, said her name a, adele dezim i'm adele happy that i actually had to think about that for a minute that, yeah i want that movie i want that <laughs> so bad in this universe i would be all for it all right you guys feel like taking some twitter questions Let's do it. Yeah. twitter questions i don't know what i'm talking about adele these dezim. questions are coming from the live chat yeah adele dezim <laughs> has scrambled my brain officially all right how about this one from redbeard 420 have you guys seen the new el camino trailer Yes. The moment I could. Yes. This is intense. I mean, like, I don't know why this surprised me so much. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm just so far removed from the last time I've seen a Breaking Bad episode. Because to be honest, I didn't revisit anything. Mm-hmm. I watched the entire series and then just stopped. And actually, maybe it's because I stopped watching uh, Breaking Bad and then I watched some of Better Call Saul, which has a different vibe to it. Uh... Now, all of a sudden, I'm like plunged back into this darkness. And just the way that it kind of like it's not like a big reveal for jesse pinkman but it kind of plays that way where you only get a line of dialogue from him at the very end of it and there's something about hearing his voice more so than seeing his face for the first time Mm. that i I found very powerful so i don't know i just felt that this thing was cut in a way that built anticipation more than i could have expected i i'm incredibly excited i think that, that vince gilligan has proved that uh he is able to do things that a lot of people can't better call Saul should not be as good as it is. (laughs) And I I think I like it even more than breaking bad. And I loved breaking bad. Um, but a a prequel series about a spinoff character who was kind of comedy relief, like Mm -hmm. it shouldn't work. Uh, and it's amazing. Um, I I also, I used to live in, in Santa Fe and and went to Albuquerque a lot. So every time I see the, the, the shots, it's like, Oh, I have, I I know I'm not supposed to have nostalgia for this, but, uh, Uh, Breaking Bad is, I think, my only defiant hipster show. Uh, I watched it. The, I watched the pilot on AMC, and I watched it from season one. So it was the one show that I was like, "It's my secret. It's my precious." And then it went to Netflix, and everyone started watching it. And I was like, "No, the secret's out!" But I guess it gets to keep going. But the secret's out, and it really felt like I'd lost something that was personal because it was this weird show that not a lot of people were watching season one. It had a short first season. It was really, but I was a diehard mm-hmm. Malcolm the Middle guy, so I just was like, "Brian Cranston's <laughs> back," and then it was nothing like that but I was enthralled and I loved the fact that it was one of the first shows that I felt 
the I felt the Sopranos thing. I felt the adult drama thing, and I, I missed the Sopranos. I never got into a lot of those big shows. So Breaking Bad was my like TV. Like I understand now. So to see this as a movie, which is more my medium, to see this as something that it will be in select theaters, it feels. It's this beautiful, nostalgic happiness of when I was sitting by myself watching a show that no one cared about, and now it's to the point where Jesse Pinkman's getting a movie, and Jesse, like, inspired way too many phrases for too long. I was that <laughs> monster. So to see him as an adult and to see him, like, grow up and to see the traumas he's been through, it just it just feels great. And Aaron Paul is one of the – Aaron Paul is, like, the kindest dude in town. Aaron, Aaron's great. figured out what your Halloween costume should be. Oh, I've but definitely been Jesse Pinkman before. I Like, I'm just kind of realizing <laughs> you could pull this – saw very well. Do you have pictures? I oh, want to see pictures. I've definitely been, I've pinkwinned <laughs> up and I've definitely, that, that expression was used way too often for like three years. This is exciting me too much. I said bitch like 867% <laughs> more after the first three seasons. That shit was embarrassing. Oh no. All right. Well, you need to share <laughs> a picture. I want to see it. All right. Next question here. Let's go with this one from the prince that wasn't promised who wants to know what actress would you want to see as Catwoman? Hmm. All the ones that we were talking about for She-Hulk are coming to mind just because that was the most recent superhero casting thing Natalie we had. Dormer. Ooh. Uh, okay. I like her, her... She's got, like, this mischievous smile, and she's got this very... She moves like a dancer. She's got this, like, lightness, and I think Catwoman should have a presence to her. Natalie Dormer, I don't think, is in enough... Like, I, I want her to have a franchise, and I think she's very, like, cat-like. Sophia Batella. Oh, I love her. Yeah. I mean, just speaking about, like, you know, cat-like maneuvers, the fact that she has the dance background, <laughs> yeah. I feel like she'd be able to nail the physicality. And she she also is just an incredible actor, too. I mean, time and time again, I'm reminded of that. If you guys have not seen Climax, you should check that movie out. But I also thought she was a major bright spot in The Mummy, which she's is saying a lot. Hotel Artemis. I like Hotel she's Artemis. Quite she's quite good in Hotel Artemis, in yeah. Uh, I would say Ruth Nega. Um, Ooh, she's great. I, I just, I really, really like. Her. I think I saw somebody suggest that once upon a time and thought, like, wow, I, I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that for sure. I like that idea. All right, let's see if we can come up with good ideas for this one as well. Riley Jack is asking, what other primarily comedic actor would you like to see take on a serious role? Who comes to? He mind? has before, but I want to see it in a larger sense. Uh, I want to see Nick Offerman in something. Okay. Uh, like very grounded and I love when he gets to play the the straight man to the comedy but I'd love to see him in a straight up drama. Okay. I'm I'm very convinced that he can do just about anything. Mm-hmm. Who you uh, got Silas? I'm going to say Nathan Fielder um who is is just like Nathan for you became one of my favorite shows ever uh and I the 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 finale I don't know if either of you watched it but mm. it's just this incredible like movie to end the series and uh i I would love to see him yeah do something serious it's kind of funny because he's so deadpan that like i I don't even know if he can be serious at this point because the more serious he is the (laughs) The funnier funnier it's gonna be uh does amy poehler do drama i I feel like i've never seen amy poehler in a drama i'd like to see her because her book's great and she's so brilliant to mind right now movie that i love and it is comedy but there's a very dramatic side that uh, got panned by everyone uh, called Are You Here? I remember and that. I loved it. It's um, it's Amy Poehler, Zach Galifianakis, and I can't remember who the third actor okay. is, but it's just this sort of like funny but also really biting, kind of depressing look at just being an adult and losing touch with your friends. And uh, it was uh, Matthew Weiner who did uh, Mad Men. Uh, oh, it was amazing. sort of like his movie, and nobody liked it. Huh. 
So it goes sometimes, sadly. Um, I'll just say an obvious one because she's already been doing this quite well. Melissa McCarthy. I mean, she's just another one who has built her name on a very specific type of movie. I mean, she's actually somewhat similar to Adam Sandler in that her foundation is her comedy roles. And then all of a sudden she does things like Can You Ever Forgive Me and St. Vincent where she just shows that she is capable of like a million times more than you ever would imagine if you just saw those really popular movies that kind of got her name going and actually now that I'm thinking about it when I think about Bridesmaids it's like even though that is a very comedic role there is a beautiful touch of like warmth and sincerity to that character that I think is what got her all the awards consideration that year. I have a new number one draft pick. Yes please. Sterling K. Brown. I want to see Sterling K. Brown in a full-on comedy. I want to see that man be funny because he's so good oh, at making me cry. I want, okay. I want to, I want to have him make me laugh. I want to see him in a comedy. Uh, yeah, I'm switching it up because he. Uh, did you see my my buddy Mike Diva directed this uh, the Lonely Island Bash Bros? Uh, I did not this, see that. It's uh, the Lonely Island did like a 20 minute short about Mark McGuire, like the the Bash Bros, the baseball guys, and Sterling K. Brown has like a three minute comedic bit right in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and he's wearing like a bathrobe and singing, and I was like, this man, like where did this guy come from? I want to see Sterling K. Brown. Oh, I feel like I had so many names going the reverse way just because I saw a lot of sad movies at TIFF and all I kept thinking was to tell that individual like you need a comedy in your <laughs> life or something like that there was there was someone that was like right on the tip of my uh on the tip of my tongue too as you brought that up and now it's gone it's out into the world I'm sorry you'll never do a comedy now any drama just gonna okay. live in darkness <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I always I, the, the one that just comes to mind is I know Harrison Ford has always said he wants to do more comedies, and it's like, well, why doesn't somebody give him a goofy comedy where he's the lead? Oh, you know who I was thinking of? Oh. I, I was thinking of um, Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf has done some lighter fare, but just recently. I interviewed him at TIFF for a movie called Castle in the Ground, which is about uh, an opioid addiction and him losing his mother. But the other movie that he was recently really hot for is Hereditary, and it's like two super dark roles back to back. So I'm like, give this kid something fun to do. Yeah, that is harrowing. I don't know. That just came to my mind right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the direction is like sad to light and light to sad because we've seen like so many great performances go that way. Yeah. Yeah, Sterling K. Brown in a comedy, though. Stand up. All right, I'm sold. All right, that's where we're... Angry Birds (laughs) 2? Silas. Oh, well, actually, I I mean, I heard good things about it. I heard good things about that movie. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I liked it better than the first one. I I thought it was fun. I mean, I'm not going to rush out to see it again, but I was like, you know, this was pretty good. Dorian really liked it, too. I have to put it back on my list. Two amazing uh, <laughs> metaphors for yeah. Twitter and then a recommendation of Angry Birds 2. I'm sold. Hot take, so. I'm sold and we're out of here. We're leaving you. <laughs> so I'm going to thank Silas and Coy for joining us on this Tuesday. Adam in the booth, Dorian in the live chat. Thank you so much for your hard work. And I'm going to let you guys know, super cool episode of Collider Live coming your way. Actually, funny thing that I mentioned, Alex Wolf, his brother Nat Wolf is going to be on the show along with Alex Rubin. So check that out at 10 a.m. PT today. And also, don't forget to like and share this episode of Movie Talk and tune in tomorrow bright and early for a brand new one. Stay little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. 
you know, a negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We'll get back to your music shortly, but first, did you know that prescription prices are different at different pharmacies? You could literally drive across the street and get a different price. That's crazy. But with GoodRx, you can instantly compare prices at every pharmacy in your neighborhood and save up to 80%. You're probably thinking there's a catch, right? Nope. It's 100% free and can save you money whether you have insurance or not. In fact, it can often beat your copay. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance.